This episode of the King's Hall is brought to you by Private Family Banking Partners and our supporters at patreon.com. The King's Hall podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Well, gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the King's Hall podcast. Joined today by Dan Burkholder, Brian Sauvey. We are talking again this episode about mirthful fathers. And to demonstrate that, we started our pre-show with, um, what would you say, Brian? Friendly ribbing? I think what we started our pre-show with was a competition to see who could be the rudest to me personally for 30 to 45 minutes. Hey, And the answer was everybody tied for first. In my defense, great. you started peacocking. First of and all, and it is a friend's responsibility. <laughs> yeah, you're right to hammer the no, absolutely. Nail. <laughs> I was peacocking in response to Ben's earlier harmonica <laughs> hatred and threatening to kill me by way of poisoning. <laughs> okay, this sounds extreme. Therefore, now, however, <laughs> however, I think just a cold analytical look at some of the facts, Dan. Just so our audience knows oh, what's so, going on. And now we're going to say Dan's going to give us the cold objective. I will. I will be fair. Unbiased. I will be view. fair. This is what's happening. It's like right Hitler. Now. Tell us about World War II. <laughs> no, Hitler. <what? laughs> hey, Churchill. I was going to say something Tell us like, about World War II. Hey, your friends are, you know, it's important to have friends. It's important <laughs> to trust one another enough to be able to make fun of one another. But I will tell you. But now. Brian Sauvey, single-handedly, is one of the best men I know. Wow. Wow. See, That's not where you I go and take the going. high road and now I'm No, like, no, no, no. It's it's think of it more like uh it, senators debating. The most esteemed, highest, <laughs> most honorable Mr. Sauve is the uh, the biggest son of a and since he is so a mother son of a pumpkin I've ever Since heard. Brian <laughs> is so great at that, Brian, I wonder if you would <laughs> kick us off. That was a patented Eric Khan <laughs> transition if I've ever heard one. Well, it looked like you guys were I don't know. Maybe no, we're good. Down, we're good. So. It's fine. I was trying it's to good. save our. He called me Hitler. He did. I but, compared but, you, and in a bad way. Look, I could have said <laughs> Churchill. Which would you rather have? They're both bad. Okay. I. You know what? I don't want to be recorded. You know the with amazing my on this. The amazing thing about being the blessing man in your home. I have literally no transition for this. Yeah. Other I think than so. this was going to end in fisticuffs. Hey, I knew it. But um, you're right, Eric. Brian, we're talking about the blessing man in the home. We're continuing this. And today we're going to be talking particularly about how we can be this in a very practical way. So one of the things that we talked about last episode, I think we mentioned it, was Doug Wilson has said, as a father, you want to be the blessing man. Uh, So in your home, you have a unique role to be both disciplinarian. So you're providing authority, order, and structure. All this is good. But you also need to be like the Lord who overflows with blessing. And Dan, I love this picture from Psalm 65, 9 through 13. If you would read that for me in your sweet bass slash baritone voice. I just wanted to derail us again. <laughs> no. And just keep arguing. No. <laughs> I'm forcing right, you to be joyful. Psalm 65, verses 9 through 13. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. We read that on Sunday, didn't we? Did we really? Yeah, the responsive reading was that. Oh, yeah. Nice. A unique providence. Tie-in. Yeah. So this was actually written before that. So Brian obviously copied me. However. He doesn't look at the notes. I didn't pick that reading. (laughs) Deacon Ben Garrett picked that reading. So Deacon Ben. Yeah. Love it. So I love this picture, though. Uh, Spurgeon talks about this passage in really how the father is. the, The picture here is a wagon going through fields and just it's just spilling out with good gifts uh, for God's people. So God himself is overflowing with abundant gifts and joy, and we are to model this. Brian, it made me think of something that you had tweeted recently, and not about harmonicas or no. Birkenstocks or anything unrelated like that. to harmonicas. But you said this. You said, man, if you don't lead actively in your home, you rob your wife and children. So take initiative in the following. Prayer, singing, shepherding, discipline, family worship, goal setting, and care. By virtue of these vocations, husband and father— 
you owe your people strong leadership. So, Brian, as you look at kind of all those things, one one of the questions I have is, A, you have to overflow in blessing in kind of a lot of different ways as a father. So why does this this act of overflowing in blessing to your people, why does it require such range for the father himself? I think it requires range like that because, again, I mean, we've beat this drum through this season, but it's so important to remember this, that what we're talking about in fatherhood is something that is an overflow or an outflow or a reflection of God's fatherhood. And one of the features of God's fatherhood that we're probably most in danger of forgetting or at least minimizing is God's joy, God's jovial, mirth-filled, joyful character. Like that psalm is so good because it you look at what God created, and especially if you look at what God created without sin— before sin entered the world or once when God's redemption has come to its full flowering, you, you just see that the whole world is shouting and singing for joy. It's so glad to be what God made it. It's so glad to, to be doing what God made it to do. When, so when you're a father and you're doing what God made you to do and, and you're in the pocket and, and you're, you're doing a good job and you, you feel the smile of God the Father on you, there's just a joy that should infuse everything that you do so that your children feel it, your your wife feel it, and what they're really feeling is God's love channeling through you. So the danger is that we would be competent in a lot of things and have a lot of range, but it would be loveless. Like 1 Corinthians 13, you can do all these great things, but if you have not love, Paul says you are nothing. It, it, if we're doing our job right, we want to be pursuing competence, we want to be pursuing productivity in our households and strong leadership, but if it's not filled and overflowing with a love and a joy, then it's not properly imaging God's fatherhood. Mm. It's not properly demonstrating his character. And I think the result is that our children will, they will come to resent us in our fatherhood. And yeah. maybe even those things that particularly we've put a lot of effort into like education or you know, vocation, they might come to particularly resent those things because those things just become another contact point in their lives for somebody who is joyless and miserly and not just simply not fun to be around. Yeah, Dan, it reminds me, I, I know you've mentioned this a lot, you know, in the charges and some of the stuff you said in the church, but we kind of have this picture of man, early chapters of Genesis, man is a cultivator, he's a gardener. But this also goes to our people. We have to cultivate our people and our home being one of those places. Of course, you think of Song of Solomon and it will compare the wife and marriage and children of the fruit of marriage. It compares all of this to a garden. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, we start to think and dig into some of the practical things that we need to be doing to cultivate joy. What are some of those things that you think of and how does it connect to gardening work? So you've got things like walls, you've got things like weeds and, and foxes in the garden, stuff like that. There's there's a lot of different things we could say, but how would you connect the work of fathers in the home to kind of this gardening imagery? Yeah, I think gardens are really useful in the way that I think through homes as far as an image to display a lot of the beauty uh, and the blessing, fruitfulness of a home or the curse uh, from a poorly cultivated garden or home that can come into the house. So... Imagine with me for a moment, if you will, that you are I will. walking. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. <laughs> that you are walking up a path towards a wall that's covered in ivy, and you approach an iron gate, and you open this gate, and the, the hinges kind of squeak a little bit, and you think, that probably needs WD-40. Anyway, you walk in through the gate, and you close it, and what greets you is a walled garden. And it, the smell of fresh earth, of flowers, of green things, the smell of, of water in the air, of humidity. And there's a certain feel of warmness from the walls that have absorbed the sun. And you walk through the paths that are well kept, uh, looking at all of the beautiful growing things, the neat rows of vegetables and the beautiful uh, wild flowers that are, are growing up sporadically at different blooms. And you walk your way over to an espaliered peach tree and you grab a mm. fresh peach and you take a bite that's been warmed by the sun and you're just enjoying it. I mean, it's like one of the best, I would imagine a walled garden is one of the best things. I do not have a walled garden. But hey, this yeah. is first generation work if we're talking about a house, right? So 
I mean, that's one picture of peace, of Sabbath, relaxation, of fruitfulness, of, of good work being fruitful, right? Yeah. But you have other gardens, probably similar to like my garden in my backyard, which when you walk in, there are welded wire fences around it to keep my dogs <laughs> and children yes. and chickens out of it. And there's weed barrier put down and there's still wild growth of weeds somehow. And it's kind of haphazard. Plants have died and have not been well tended. And if you picture those two places in in a house, mm-hmm. you have one that seems to have a very diligent and careful gardener who has taken study of his people, of his of his place, mm-hmm. and he has cultivated it well. He's used his gifts and the gifts of his people to cultivate a fruitful Sabbath uh, home uh, that's full of rest. Whereas the other one, the one with the weed barrier that doesn't keep out the weeds, is one as you walk into that that garden and that in that house, it immediately produces different feelings than Sabbath and rest and peace. It immediately produces stress. It it produces things like envy mm-hmm. because somebody else probably has a better garden than you or better house than you, and it immediately makes you anxious because of all the work that is not, that has gone undone Mm. and the fruit suffers. You don't have as good a fruit. Uh, And so I think that's really helpful when you start looking at your home as a garden, because you have to make a careful study of the people that you're responsible to, right? That's really the most important thing. Uh, The garden's just an image, you know, but of, of things like sin. So weeds take root and if you don't take care of the weeds before they go to seed, they will multiply. Just like if you walk into your house and you see a, a small sprout of a weed uh, of sin come up in your in your wife or in your own in your own life or in, in your kids, and you don't address that as a as a good gardener, as a good uh, shepherd of your people, and say, "Hey, we need to take care of this this sin. We need to repent from it. Make sure that it, it is." plucked out by the roots, that it doesn't grow deep and, and produce seeds that will produce a, a fruitful home. But if you go in and you're like, man, I just can't deal with this today. Like, you know, my wife's nagging me or I'm being slothful or, you know, apathetic towards my family. What happens is those roots go deep and they become really difficult to pull out. And then they have this annoying tendency of going to seed and spreading other sins. Because uh, as Pastor Brian Sauve here, has noted in many sermons, when Paul is talking about sins, they come in clusters like grapes, right? And there's a reason for that. You usually don't just have one sin that comes up and you're like, wow, that's an anomaly. I don't really know where that came from. It's like a flowering or a fruiting of sin, which is real bad because it's weeds that will take over your house. And so uh, all of that to say a diligent husband, a diligent father sees the state of his people and encourages them towards fruitfulness, towards repentance, and he makes a diligent study of them. He knows his people and produces fruit. It produces fruit in his house. But the gardener that lacks diligence, the father that doesn't make a study of his people, that is selfish and lacks discipline, will produce a, a house that is full of weeds. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. So, Brian, one of the things you guys have been talking about in Brighthearth is mm. Ken Sandy's book, Peacemaker and yeah. Conflict Resolution. It seems to me that a lot of these things uh, are tied together uh, in terms of both positive and negative, what we need to be cultivating in the home, putting certain sins to death. I wonder if you would just kind of unpack for me some of the practical things that you guys have been talking about and why that's so important if you want to have a a flourishing, fruitful garden that is your home. Yeah. When you you look at the home, and I love the picture that Dan just painted for us of the two, like, directions that you can go – what really came to mind for me, and it maps onto the Bright Hearth season and also maps onto what we've been doing in church lately in the sermons in our Blueprints for Biblical Household series, it reminds me of the five aspects of masculinity and how if you those two roads are really before you in each aspect of them, practically speaking. And if you go down the path of righteousness and plotting and disciplined obedience to God in each of those categories, the result is over a long period of time, that garden, it's glorious because it's such hard, long work to do that, to take an, especially first generation work where you're taking a lot that's overgrown with weeds, speaking from experience, and my lot still has weeds in it, but it takes years 
to go from that barrenness to this mature garden with the wall around it and the peach in the sun and the espalier tree and all of the, and I was there with you, Dan. I literally texted Ray <laughs> while you were talking. Ray, you don't know what this means yet, but when you get to this episode, sound design everything under what Dan described about the garden. <laughs> but the, the five aspects are lords, husbandmen, saviors, sages, and glory bearers. Those are um, Bill Mauser. Bill Mauser. Bill also Mauser. was in uh, Future Men. Yes, yes. The Future Men, Mark Driscoll ripped him off and didn't give him credit, but we'll give him credit here. The late friar Bill Mauser. Um, he described masculinity as godly mascul- masculine men are lords, husbandmen, saviors, sages, and glory bearers. When you're aiming for jovial, mirth-filled, joyful maturity in your home with your children, your wife, your vocation, your church, all of those things, as a lord, that means as a king, ruling well uh, and ordering the realm. So you're the one who steps in and you have a smile on your face and you say, we're going somewhere great. This kingdom is headed, this little kingdom of a household or a church or whatever it is. We're going somewhere great. We're going somewhere where there's green, where there's good fruit and there's there's joy and there's peace and rest. And so as a Lord, you're ordering. You're saying, well, then we're going to need to do this and we're going to need to do that. And you're sent, you're deploying troops and you're you're fighting battles. As a husbandman, a shepherd, you are tending the flock and you're going down and stooping down to your children and your wife and you're caring for them. You're, you're keeping a watch on your flock. You know where they are. Um, as a savior, you're protecting the home from enemies. And you're wa- all the stuff we've talked about this season with media and you know what your children are watching and what's allowed in your home, you're, as a savior, defending them from enemies. As a sage, you're studying and you're leading your family into um, like what Joseph Pipo would talk about. Piper? Piper? Piper. As a true leisure. Yes. Right? The, the, a culture that's has true leisure and rest because it knows that we're not just machines and cogs. And so we're teaching our children to read well and think well and speak well. Uh, And as glory bearers, we're tending everything towards its greatest glory. And so practically, when I think about that, the thing that should suffuse all of that is a warmth and a joy. And, And so very practically, I mean, this looks like physical affection, getting down on the level of your children, being the, the blessing man that hugs the children and hey, come sit on my lap, you know, come, come, let me, let me read to you. Let me put my arm around you and read you a story tonight. Let me, you know, not ignore you all day, get home from work tired and just like do some yard work and send everybody to bed. Let me be the one who is initiating warm touch with my wife in front of the children. And I mean, like, obviously nothing weird. I mean, your kids should know that you're the one that's like, come here, babe. You're, you're showing affection properly as a man was it you brian who said one time like you should be showing affection to your wife in a way that would sort of make the kids squirm a little like, bit like ah dad come on dad yeah you gotta i mean you're showing you're, you're giving words of encouragement and praise verbally you're dispensing encouragement and exhortation your Which, children hear you laugh a lot in your home With the banking industry in another tailspin and the Fed ready to raise interest rates again, many of you are asking, when will the madness stop? Are you currently placing 10, 15, or 20% of your income into the volatile stock market and subjecting your hard-earned cash to the whims of Wall Street? You already know that this is not an effective and safe wealth-building strategy. Our sponsor... Private Family Banking Partners will show you a powerful and safe way to build guaranteed multi-generational wealth. With their guidance and step-by-step method, you will be able to create your very own privatized banking system. Imagine being able to direct major portions of your monthly cash flow into your banking system and immediately start earning tax-free compound interest. Once established, you will have access to your money through a private online portal. While your money is earning uninterrupted compound interest, you can use that same money as collateral for other investments or to start a new business or self-fund major life expenditures. Best of all, no new money is needed to start. See their contact information and access their free book in the show notes below. It's really interesting because uh, I was thinking of two things, physical affection and then the affection you show your wife. And uh, an older pastor had said one time, really, the the way that you love your wife physically in every way, the way that you talk to her, you're modeling for, especially if you have boys, you're modeling to your boys how they ought to treat their wives. Mm-hmm. But he said also physical affection. Yeah. So like having, having environments, I think in America particularly, this is a very American thing where like 
the the only time you may you know make physical contact with your kids is with a paddle, and mm-hmm. they sh- that shouldn't be it. They, no, you know they should feel your warmth and and you know your approval. Even as the boys have gotten older, yeah. you know now I have a sixteen year old. Mm-hmm. I probably hug him more now than ever. Yeah, or just you know pat his head yeah. in, in a very loving and affectionate way. Like I'm so proud of you. Good yes. job. Do that with all the boys. Like they still need physical affection. Absolutely. And, then, and then so. We want them, obviously, to be physically affectionate with their wives and children mm-hmm. as well. Well, if if you're stodgy and British stiff upper lip with them, they're, yeah. they're not going to have that. So we don't want it to be a cold indifference uh, when it comes to the physical. I, no. I do want to ask on that front, Brian, like have you seen uh, – Dan and I just have boys at this point. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a difference with uh, boys and girls, uh, especially in the younger ages, on this front? Yes, the – it's actually helped me be more affectionate with my boys having little girls because little girls are just such a glory. You want to like grab them and swing them around and dance with them and give them a kiss. And uh, they're, you know, they start playing hard to get when they're like literally two, three. So my little, literally today, my wife was dropping lunch off for me and picking one of our boys up from a school thing. And, uh, Little Winnie's in her car seat, and I'm at the window over on Lexi's side of the van, and our van's like eight miles long, fits like a hundred people. And Winnie from way in the back, Seems she's like, like an exaggeration. "Daddy, Daddy!" Like she's <laughs> peeking up, and I'm like, "Okay, Winnie, I'm gonna come around." I come around, and and then she's called me in, she's cooled me in, you know. <laughs> <She's cool. laughs> and, and then, and I'm like a sucker, and I'm like, "Hey, baby, how you doing? You want a kiss?" And she's like. No. You know? <laughs> no. I'm like, are you sure you don't want to kiss? And she's like, no. And she's, but she's leaning closer and closer to my face until I give her a kiss. So she, she, she senses no one taught her that she should desire, you know, masculine affection and that she should, but not, but be a little coy about it. Like that's just a, there's a little feminine woman in there. To it. Yeah. And I'm to teach her what it looks like to be gentle and and loving and respectful and uh you know warm and affectionate and it's just man it's it's a joy with with the little little la- it's a joy with the with the little lads too but i mean there's there's something there that if i don't give it no one else can yeah i think that that's a really important point dan one of the things i was going to ask you we were talking about this recently and addressing discipline issues, actually, when those get addressed the right way, that has actually produced more joy in the home as well. Yeah. So talk to me about how, you know, because a lot of people would think like, oh, discipline is the mean side. Well, actually, the fruit of discipline is joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because what happens is sin actually separates and it causes, well, it's those weeds that I was talking about. It separates relationally. And so what you're doing is you're you're correcting that to to bridge that gap again. Yeah. And so one of the things that I think is really important, it took me a while uh, to figure out uh, through reading and things like that, is that you have to complete the discipline. So it's not just, hey, you hit your brother, you get a, you get a spanking, uh, say sorry, you know, and that's, that's like it, right? You, there's actually more steps in, in that. You have to take, this is about knowing your people. This is really what this is about. Mm-hmm. So I have, you, I have four sons. They have different personalities. I'm not really disciplining the youngest one yet. He's just a baby. Um, so the three boys, they've all got very different personalities. And so knowing my boys, I know what it looks like when they're actually mourning their sin and when they're being stubborn, right? And so when I discipline them, if they don't respond with repentance and remorse and true desire to reconcile, then the discipline isn't actually complete. It's and not what, over yet. And what can happen is you could actually be forging the child's heart against you in rebellion because you're training. If you leave it there, if you leave it there. Yeah, exactly. If you leave it there with incomplete reconciliation, you're actually training them there too. You're training them to harden their hearts against the discipline of the Lord and against the discipline of, of whatever hierarchy they find themselves in, whether it's a boss or it's a pastor, you know, and so it's really important as you discipline your children that you complete the discipline mm. into reconciliation. And out of that, out of that true reconciliation comes joy. I mean, you just the ultimate picture of reconciliation is when we were separated from God and he saved us. He gave us a new heart, gave us a, a new mind. And all of a sudden we're, we're sons, 
Well, it's so interesting how... Dis- and there's joy there. Yeah, yeah, and how discipline works in that way where... I remember in years past, especially when the kids were younger, but even now, we'll, we'll go through this. When they're younger, you're doing so much boots-on-the-ground discipline. Like, 10 times a day, every day for each kid, that's probably the you know an underestimate of how much discipline. Mm-hmm. But I remember these conversations with my wife, and we would say things like, man, things have really... We've slipped. We've kind of gotten lazy with the discipline... We're really frustrated and angry with our kids. They're frustrated with us. You didn't see a lot of this fruit. And we're like, we need three good weeks of really tightening the belt and just clamping down on every issue. Um, so so it was like, we're going to discipline for everything that is not cheerful, complete, quick obedience. And we're going to follow through on the discipline until it's complete. And, you know, every time, like clockwork, it, two to three weeks of doing that, Not it usually didn't even take that long. It could be two days of just being consistent with your discipline and it was like joy would return and the kids would get more affectionate with us. Mm -hmm. This is the thing a lot of people don't understand. Your children are craving discipline and structure and order. And when you provide that for them consistently, their affection for you will grow, not diminish. Dan, a couple of things, maybe just by way of maybe if people have young kids, they're thinking of books, like what could we read? I know early on uh, we had read things like shepherding a child's heart. There was another one that we were reading recently. Yeah, child training tips. Reb, was, Reb Bradley, I think. Yeah, Reb Bradley. Okay. Yeah, that that, that one's Reb. been very helpful for me just practically. So yeah, anybody who we can put that in the show notes, but yeah, just Le- Lexi and I are reading. We're reading that out loud at night together right now. Yeah, after what are your, you guys' what are your recommendations, thoughts? it's what I really like about it, and what's missing in a lot of these books is two things. One is that it's actually practical. Yeah, and so many things are like we're it's so practical, and then it's just principles, but it doesn't land them. Yeah. And in little kid years, it's like, you, you have know, to be explain to me practical. the mechanics. I, I don't understand because you feel like sometimes you're spanking all the time or you're disciplining all the yeah. time. It's and the, I know what to do, but I don't know how to do how. it. I know I need to spank, yes. but how do I do it? And you give up often if you're not trained, you don't know what the finish line is. You give up just before the finish line so often in parenting and discipline. Yeah. This book's really practical. And the second thing is that it's just totally unapologetic about the fact that what we're trying to do with our kids is indoctrinate them, train them, form them, that they are not smart. They are foolish. I mean, some of them are smart, but they're they're fools. Folly is bound up in the heart of the it's, child. It, it, it's right there. Like Proverbs 29, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Well, there you go. So I want to know how to do that. And this book is, is just super practical. And I read it because you both and Kevin had uh, recommended it. So I was like, I need to get this right now. Yeah, the other one that I, that I would recommend and throw out there is uh, Volume Three, William Gouge. Oh um, yeah, his book on uh, especially with children in the household. That's really uh, informative. One, one nugget I would throw out there that was really helpful to me was like he's like the first person in Ephesians five that's addressed is the woman and the wife. She needs to submit to her husband in full obedience. If she won't submit in full obedience, then the children will model her and they won't. So it really it was helpful for me and my wife as we're reading this book, like. Wow, like if 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 we're speaking rudely to each other, why would you expect the children to do anything otherwise? Like, so we really have to be on the same page if there's something that needs to be corrected or an offense between me and my wife. Like, like let's, let's go deal with that privately. Mm-hmm. Let's reconcile that. And yep. then let's make sure that we're modeling the things that we want to see our children doing. Um, so anyway, volume three, you can pick that up from Reformation Heritage Books. That's a really excellent book as well. Brian, I do want to ask another question. Yeah. We, we talked about some of the positive things. On the practical side with parenting and discipline, are there like certain things that you see repetitive? You know you know how in your yard you just have those weeds that like, you're like, I killed these weeds last week, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I come home from work and in my driveway, they've grown seven feet. Yeah. Those weeds in the home, what, what are they? What are the things that sprout up quickly uh, and bad? Uh, one of the ones that comes to my mind is critical spirit. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think? Yeah, being hypercritical is a big problem, and not just in parenting. It's it's a big problem in all relationships. Mm. So this like is, work, like harmonicas, or yeah, like if if for example, like a coworker was just doing being their best, pedantic, was just doing their best to like live his life, his best life now, and then every two minutes you're like, look at those Birkenstocks. Wow, that harmonica sucks. I wish you would just die. Like that kind of thing would be. <laughs> Like hype, being passive aggressive. Do you think like, like using a podcast to, episode to vaguely criticize your friends I don't, would be bad? I don't feel like saying I, 
I hope I want to poison you and until you're dead is being passive aggressive. No, I'm saying I'm being passive aggressive. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I feel no, like it was pretty direct. I feel like that was direct. <laughs> yeah, that, no, but you're right. Being hypercritical where you're just fault finding, you're always looking for a problem and you have to think like, look, the father is always aware of all of our problems. And how often does he bring the really heavy cor- correction of the spirit? Like the Psalm 51, my bones are dried up. Like I'm, I'm ashamed. Man, it's, it's not that often. And it's over big things. So there, there's a consistent discipline that has to happen. I'm not saying don't enforce rules and be like lackadaisical in how you do this. But hypercriticality is a huge problem. Would you, would you tie that one to... Well, we've talked about it recently, I think, even, but like sarcasm? Yes. Like sh- the sharp tongue, I guess, is what I would yeah, – cr- critical spirit, tongue. acid tongue. It seems like these are ones that sort of just – like I – again, I can think of the, the, the poor moments as a father where I've walked in and said something critical, really stupidly critical and yeah. unnecessary. And the thing that doesn't erupt immediately in your home afterwards is joyful fruitfulness from everyone. No. It's kind of like, oh, I see how it's going to go. We're swinging on each other. The thing is, if you want to be in a fight, you will be in a fight. Mm, That's the reality, right, guys? (laughs) Like once you get you you do the ribbing thing, and then there's a moment where you cross the Rubicon and you're like, no, I actually hate your face and I want to kill you. (laughs) What if I was born on the other side of the Rubicon? (laughs) (laughs) But this is a critical point, I think, practically. Yeah. Is to understand that a lot of what we're talking about is it really has to do with your disposition and demeanor. Are you content? and thankful to God, and aware of his blessings, and overflowing in joy? Is there a deep well of joy in the middle of your soul? Or is there bitterness, rudeness, anger? You're constantly mad. You're always frustrated. You're prickly. It's easy to offend you. It, it, it reminds me of this. I can't remember if it's Anne Bradstreet or, or one of those, um, you know, of the previous generation ladies. Uh, she said something like, a glass which is brimful of sweetness can never spill a drop of bitter water, no matter how suddenly jarred. And the point is... Did you just pull that up from memory? Yes. It's one we talk about in our house a lot. Lexi. It's actually Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael. There you go. A cup brimful of sweetness cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, no matter how suddenly jarred. There you go. Wow, that was close. close. That was close. That was like 90% there. 90%. It also, in the great uh, musician, Me Without You... They have a song called uh, where one of the lines is a glass can only spill what it contains is another way of saying that. So if your kids are being naughty and it pulls out of you, anger, frustration, loudness, that was already in there, right? If you're full of contentedness and joy, then you have a well from which to give calm and firm correction, like, but if you're always in every context easy to annoy or make, you know, offend, you are the problem. Not your spouse, not your children, not your church, not your pastor, so let, not your friends. It's you. Can I ask a question just to get hyper practical? Let's say you wake up in the morning and you sense that you're like super grumpy. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say, well, hold on. Hyper practical. Who in this room <laughs> no. most amplified? No. No. You wake up in the morning. And you, we've all had those days where it's just like, you're just on one. Yeah. Um, everything annoys you. Somebody's playing a harmonica. You know, the kids right. are being loud. Whatever it is. Greeting you with a loud harmonica early in the morning. Yeah, which is clearly There's sinful. There's proverbs about this. Clearly sinful. What do you practically actually do in that moment? You were standing in the bathroom about to brush your teeth and you're like, oh, I'm just frustrated. What do I actually do? I mean, what yeah. does a person hypothetically do? I don't, I don't do? know if Not Brian me. has ever been in that situation. <laughs> I He's know, probably I have, I have. singing while he brushes his teeth but, but and playing you, harmonica at the same time. I, I think <laughs> it's actually going to be the same thing. But let's say filthy. let's say your your friends have been ribbing you all day about your, your Birkenstocks, <laughs> right? Yeah, and how you're a barista and right. you wear that white coat and you literally wear it, so you're kind of offended because it hits close to home. Yeah, because it hits close. Yeah, so so you're kind of like uh, uh, David Pallison used to call this like prickly, thorny. You're just yes. in a thorny kind of mood. How, what do yeah. I actually do practically in that moment? To put that sin to death and change. Well, one of the things that I often do is sin. (laughs) That's not how you put it to death. No, it's not. But let's be honest here. When we're in that mood, a lot of times what we do is we sin a lot. And and what's really important is to be able to say, okay, when I recognize it for the last two hours, let's be honest, I've been sinning. You, You first need to go make peace. You need to confess and repent. And being the blessing man means believing the gospel. Right. 
But practically, I think over the long haul, what puts that to death is things like contentedness and thankfulness crowd out bitterness and anger. If you can meditate, if you're constantly meditating on things like envy, bitterness, problems that you have, things your wife is doing wrong, things your kids are doing that are annoying you, and you're just rolling those over in your mind, A, you need to move quickly to the righteous action those things require. As a Lord and a husband and a savior, sage and a glory bearer, go out and say, I'm constantly frustrated with my wife's nagging. Well, I'm actually the head of my home. I'm going to go do something about that gently and lovingly and without harshness, treating my wife as the weaker vessel. And this is this is an area where I feel like we sometimes don't realize this, but what the, the Sunday worship is supposed to do is train us in the daily. So yeah. a lot of times I remind myself of this, like I'm, I'm stuck in this sin pattern today. I'm really frustrated or angry or despondent. What do I do? And then I go, what, what is the service? Well, the Lord calls you into his presence. First thing we do is we confess our sin. Yep. Okay. I know that God says, James 5, we should confess our sins to one another. Mm-hmm. So the, actually a lot of power of sin is destroyed at the root. When you simply go to one another, you stop arguing and defending yourself. Mm-hmm. And you go – a lot of times if it's my wife, it'll be – or my sons, the person I'm sinning against, go to them and say – I have sinned against you. Yeah. That gets to the heart. I mean, it, it does. you'll feel it. You'll, and it, it you'll draws mercy. feel that burning, but at the same time, you're like, you're, you're shining light in the dark, moldy corner. And, and it draws mercy out of other people, yes. especially Christians. When you are humbling yourself, the first instinct often, I mean, if we're honest, the, one of the first instincts at least is often to say like, of course I forgive you. The, the It clears the air. And, and on the other side of that, I think, like if you're constantly meditating on those things, you need to do the Colossians 3 thing, or you need to do the put off and put on. Like, okay, I'm meditating on all these bitternesses. I'm full of bitter water. And so even the slightest jar, jarring action in my day, somebody's saying, good morning, before I've had my coffee, and I'm going to spill bitter water all over them. I need to be filled up with thankfulness, contentedness. I need to start rehearsing God's blessings, well, and I, what he's done for me. I think practicing, like you're talking about meditation and, and gratitude, thinking mm-hmm. on righteous things, as Paul says in, in yes. Philippians 4. The other thing that is really powerful, it seems so simple, but I tell people this all the time in counseling. When you are ungrateful, you get on your knees and you pray to God and you say, Lord, forgive me for being so ungrateful. Yes. I know that I should be grateful. Please change my heart. Yes. Please help me be grateful. Yep. And it is amazing what God does. He'll be like, oh, yeah, remember all these – you remember how you are breathing right now? Yes. You're welcome. Yes. Right? Like when you you meditate and you fill your mind and your soul with the remembrance of God's blessings and how good he's been. And on the other hand, this is helpful for me, especially when I'm mad at somebody – like who I don't know, you know, like take the Nathaniel Jolly stuff that's been going around. Like that guy's just been like letting everybody have it called. He, he called, you know, our, our Joel and he called me and Michael and Doug uh, and you at this point, like fa- literally like false teachers or don't follow them and they're worldly. And, and these things can eat you up, these controversies. So sometimes when when someone sins against you and, and they're not going to repent, like you've reached out to them and they're just not going to repent. One of the things that I found helpful is to literally just remember the worst things I've ever done. Like not to pick the scab, but to remember the things God has forgiven me for and be like, yeah, that's bad. But like, don't you remember the, this thing that you did? And God has forgotten that. Like he's, he's separated you from it. He's not going to send you to hell. And it really does help. Like when you're mad at your wife and then you remember every, like some sin and you go, Okay. That's right, Lord. Uh, she's genuinely sinning, or, or someone's genuinely sinning, but it's like, yeah, I mean, okay, that's Lord. at the heart of as I've forgiven you, so you must forgive. Yes. Remember what you've been give, forgiven for. Yeah, well, I think yeah. so much of it too in the gospel. I remember this like going through seasons of of difficulty in either work relationships or children or in the home, and uh, a good friend was walking me through a passage, just reminding me of this. But First Peter two twenty three, when he was reviled, this is Jesus. He did not revile in return. Yes. Like how many spouses we didn't, I would never think, okay, I need to apply this in my marriage. Yeah. Cause you're like, no people yeah. killing Jesus. And you're like, okay, well, but it applies to you and your wife. Yeah. 
it applies to you and your children. Maybe they're in a moment where they are reviling you, genuinely. Right. Nathaniel Jolly's re- reviling right. us. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to God, his creator, who judges justly. Red meat is a staple of a healthy, protein-packed diet, but not all meat is created equal. That's why I buy my meat from Salt and Strings Butchery. Salt and Strings is owned and operated by my friends, Quinn and Samantha Bible, and the meat they offer is raised, harvested, and processed exclusively in Southern Illinois. It's cut and packaged by my friends, Quinn and Anthony, and not only is it the best meat I've ever had, well, all their meat is sourced from local farms that share our Christian values. Salt and Strings is now offering a beef and hog box that can be shipped directly to your door. The 15-pound beef box features 100% black Angus beef and includes ribeyes, T-bones, sirloin, chakros, fajita meats, and ground beef. You can order your beef box today for just $259. They will send it directly to your door. The hog box is $239 and features premium Duroc pork, including eight thick pork chops, one of my all-time favorites, pork steaks, cured and sliced bacon, ground pork, bratwurst, and breakfast sausage links. You can place your order today at saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. And also be sure to follow Salt and Strings on Instagram. We'll also include the link in the show notes. Yeah, God will judge. And also, just to make sure I'm clear, I can't remember what I said. Specifically, what Nathaniel Jolly said was that if you want to become more worldly, follow these men. And it offended me because I was thinking, like, I don't think the saints at Refuge Church or East River or these other churches are becoming more worldly by listening and submitting to their pastors in obedience to their membership vows. So specifically, that's – and I privately reached out to him and said, hey, I think you overstated this. You can disagree without – you know, this was was sinful what you said. And he, you know, didn't – didn't repent in my view, didn't repent of what I think is a sin. And I was tempted in that moment to be like, I'm now going to go scorched earth and I'm going to salt the ground of your social media, tear down your house and raise it to the ground and salt the earth so that nothing ever can grow here again. And then I'm like, well, hang on. The Lord has forgiven me of quite a few things. And he was pretty patient in that. It's been 10 minutes. What if I pray for him every time I'm tempted? Like every time that bitterness comes back, I'm not, this is really not eating me away or anything, guys. But this is a helpful exercise. When a bitterness comes back and it's stealing your ability to be the jovial blessing man, you need to stop and pray for the person you are bitter against and ask that God would specifically bless them. And this is an exercise I've given to people a lot in counseling with extended family issues. And my dad did this, my mom did this, and they're generally bad, genuinely bad things, horrible things. And and I tell them, what you need to do is you need to thank the Lord for giving you clear eyes about about the sinfulness of that thing in, in, in not minimizing it all. Ask that the Father would bless them by granting them repentance and faith and that they would have true remorse for that thing and that God would smile and shine his face upon them. And ask that every time that it comes up. And that's the way that you that the Lord really pulls these rocks out of your field is that you keep putting it in his court. I can't fix this thing, but the Lord granted repentance to Saul of Tarsus. Like I can pray for them and stop acting like I have to fix them or I can't be content and happy. That's stupid. Yeah. You'll never be content and happy if you're all if you're just like until I fix everybody who's ever been wrong at me <laughs> or sinned. Yeah, and I think I'm going to be a, a miserable if you, loser. If, yeah, absolutely. If you tie it to like uh as a parent, you know, you you think like, well, I mean, I can I can be joyful once my kids stop doing this or uh-huh. you know, I'll be happy if once my wife's attitude changes or my yeah. husband's attitude changes. Yes. And it's a lot harder to just say I mean, really, even young restless and reformed, I was thinking back on this, where they were great, where they were the best was saying the sin is in my heart. Yes. Jesus came to die for this one. This bad boy right here under the microscope on full display yep, yep. in 4K happening right now, this one. Yes. Right? So so then we take that and, and we repent of it. God does this transformative work. And, and we don't start by pointing at other people in other situations saying these have to change first. One, so to add to that, one of the wrinkles that really motivates me is that because I'm, I'm definitely more prone to be a little bit prickly. I don't know if you guys have noticed that or not. I ha- probably yeah. haven't. Haven't noticed that. Um, I've always experienced you as a ray of sunshine. 
Yeah, kind of like so, Mary Poppins. That's the person Mary I'd Poppins most describe asks, you. I have as. had the strange feeling of wanting to carry an umbrella with me. It's <laughs> odd. Insane. To hit people at all with times. it. <laughs> 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 to strike people. Seems like a good concealed weapon. To smite weapon. them. Can I get one with the sword in it? Yes. No, so uh, is that I think about, okay, so the small like bitterness, the small frustrations and angers that you have with your kids, your wife, your friends or whatever, uh, especially with the house is that I remember my mission and that the, the small things will completely undermine my mission because the work that you're doing is actually eternal work. It's eternal work. Mm -hmm. So the way that I treat my kids, the way that I treat my wife is going to echo through my generations. My sons are learning this. You know, if you have daughters, they're going to learn to find men that are like dad. Mm -hmm. And if they find prickly, bitter men, they're, they're going to be set up for a very, very hard life. Yeah. And then they're going to have kids who have that modeled and they're going to have kids and they're going to have kids and the cycle just goes on. And if you start backing up the generations and you're the starting point, I mean, shame. Mm-hmm. Well, Dan, it brings up a good point. Uh, I was thinking about this before we recorded. There's really kind of two types of uh, dads, fathers on the spectrum where you can say like, these are kind of the two polar extremes that are both sinful. And one is you have like the harsh domineering father, mm-hmm. authoritarian. And on the other end, you have, I think what is actually more common in our culture, or at least mm, I would say, you know, in 15 years of ministry at different churches, um, that's kind of the overarching thing I've seen is passive dads. Yeah, unresolved conflicts. Dads who are Always. like like the thought of going to one of your children, uh, say like a teenager, and, and saying like, hey, I've noticed this pattern. It's really bad. Let's work on it. That, that's like they would rather jump off a bridge or walk into traffic than deal with that. Yeah. So let's start there. Let's start with passive fathers. What's going on here? What's the problem? Why is this not going to produce a joyful, mirthful home? And I want to start with Brian on this one. Uh, you know what? Dan was just about to say something, and so I'm going to cede my well, time. Okay, so the, to the passive floor. dad. What what's, what's really wrong with the passive it. dad? Yeah, it's it's actually similar to the way that some people keep house or some people keep the garden or whatever. Is that they wait and they don't address the problems. Mm-hmm in tidying up what they do is they wait until their house is unlivable. And then they're like, well, we're going to take a whole day to clean, but they don't actually address the problems, the roots that are causing these issues. And so they just, it's, it's a reactive sort of parenting that, oh man, like there's a blow up at school or there was a fight or the police are involved or my kid's smoking weed or whatever. And there were, there were 50 steps that happened before there that you should have stepped in and said, enough right now, you know, let's address this. This is a problem, but it ends up going to the, Hey dad, I'm, I'm a transgender. Hey dad, I'm a homosexual. Hey dad, I hate God. I mean, like that's a lot of times what happens to passive dads. Maybe it's not that catastrophic, but eventually it could be. And so that's really one of the problems with a passive father is that you become so averse to the small conflicts that all of a sudden there's a big conflict and you can't turn away anymore. Your back's against the wall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're you're letting things stack up and until it's, you know, you have to respond. Instead of pro, like the sermon last week we talked about this with if you're not asking questions actively of different aspects of your life and duties and vocations, like how's my kid doing? How's school doing? How's education going? How's right. you know, training them in in terms of sexual purity going? How's my wife doing today? How's her, you know, emotional, spiritual, physical How's the budget going? If you don't ask those questions proactively, they will start to ask you. They'll start to question you. Well, don't you think uh, some of it, too, I think, is our cultural milieu and context, right? Where you think about, okay, we live in a world where dads and husbands all day long, say you're on the somewhere on the conservative spectrum. You go to work. You can never say what you really think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you say it, you probably get fired, canceled, whatever. Uh, We live in this era where I think particularly like boomer generation – uh, what they grew up with was this idea of an open society where we've literally been told you have to tolerate everything. So how then are you going to come into your family and be like, what you're doing is wrong? You cannot yeah. do this. This is sinful. I think a lot of guys have just unknowingly maybe been breathing that air and given into it for so long. Like, you know, think about the workplace. Could you in, – in today's workplace, workforce, corporate America, can you go to somebody and say, hey, that was really sinful? What you did, or or can you even say yeah. what you did was wrong? 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't. You're not allowed to do that. No, you mainly need to tattle to an HR person who will then deal with it separately. Yes. It's it's actually built gossip almost into the chain of command and passivity. Passive aggressiveness. Passive aggressiveness. You send an email. You don't talk to the person. You send an email chain. Yeah. This was the whole thing with Tucker Carlson, right, where he was talking right. about HR departments and how, like, they got mad at him because he went to an employee and was like, hey, do you have a problem with me? Mm-hmm. Like, I'd love to clear that up. And they're like, oh, no, 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 you can't talk to another person. Right. Yeah. So I, I think part of it is – it's actually environmental. Yeah. Um, that everywhere we look, you're trained to not deal directly with stuff. Yeah. Getting practical. I think an assignment that's helpful that we've talked about in the context of our local church, but this is particularly helpful for passive men, guys who are just kind of, they know that they're not being active enough in leadership, but they're not, a lot of times it's because they don't know where to start. Dispositionally, they're more quiet or passive. And then, they see problems, but they just don't know what to do. And my encouragement is often to start by listing out everything that you are in terms of your vocations. So like, where would you start? You are a Christian. I am a Christian man. All right. I am a husband. I am a father of these children. I am employed at this plate. For me, I'm the husband of Lexi. My children are, and I list their names and you know their ages. I'm, I work at New Christian and Press and Refuge Church, and I have duties and obligations. And then I go through and list out under all of those things that you are is you find that those uh, vocations come with job descriptions and duties that God has already given for you. You don't need like a, a magic ball or the liver shivers or some kind of weird opening your Bible randomly and pointing your finger at it to figure out what to do next. It's like- Useful. It's just, I yeah. <laughs> I am a husband. Okay, what does God say the job descriptions that come with a husband? And then you go through and you start getting granular and you say, okay, now how am I doing in these different areas? I'm going to now exercise godly kingship, godly lordship, godly shepherding. I'm going to be a godly sage there, those aspects of masculinity. I'm going to find out then holes in my active leadership in the home. And they're not a mystery. They're things that I've written out and they're obvious. They're like, oh, I literally haven't been doing this thing that I'm supposed to, like educating my children properly, or I've just been letting mom do all the reading on that and all of the work. And, you know, she's this often happens with something like education. And I'm just saying practically what that does is it helps you put a name to the thing instead of just, well, hey, stop being passive. It's here is the next thing a godly active father, husband, whatever would do. Go do that. Here's a job description. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I, we're obviously a media company. This, this seems like it'll be out of left field, but it's not, I promise. I'll bring it around. Uh, we're a media company. Um, and so we have podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, podcasts are great. Uh, obviously, we do them. It's a great way for people who are on the go to listen. I want to say, looking back at all of my time as in pastoral ministry, I don't know, 15 plus years, something like that, there's just nothing quite like a man who will read a book. Mm-hmm. So I just want to get a feel like, do you think that's true? What is it about? So I'm thinking, uh, you know, obviously the Bible, but let's say outside of that, a dad's like, hey, I don't really know what to do with my family. I'll recommend a book to him. Maybe it's Family Shepherds by Vody Bauckham. Mm-hmm. He reads that book. Something happens to that man almost every time, right? Mm-hmm. When he does, when he, when he commits himself to sitting down and reading the book and really paying attention and taking notes that man comes out of that and he's like, oh, he's got a fire lit. He's like, yeah. okay, I need it. I need to but do these things. Was it, it's not the same when he watches a two minute video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, yeah. Was, was it you, Brian, that tweeted something like you could spend $14 and buy a book and it could change your life? Like what else could you spend $14 on and have it change your life? I can't remember, but maybe. It was a good I tweet. I tweet a lot of things. So it probably it was, was a good tweet. It was probably Michael Foster. But no, I, I, think, <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, well, whoever tweeted that yeah. is yeah. definitely right. Because it's one of Eric's favorite questions to ask, and I've, I've, I've adopted it. Uh-huh. When I speak to somebody and I'm like, this person is interesting, I'll ask them, what's the most influential book you've ever read? Yeah. Just to get their answer. And it, it's, it's really interesting because a well-read person will say, you know, the book that had the biggest effect on my life, it changed the, the way I thought, think, is this one. And they, they'll give you a book. And sometimes it's really surprising. But, mm-hmm. but those books have formed these people have changed the way that they live. I have books that I'm like, man, without that book, the trajectory of my life would be completely different. David Chilton, 
Paradise Restored. You know what's funny, Eric, yes. is that yeah, that was one of the top one five of that came to my mind was that book. Yeah. As Dan said. That I was well, like, that's it, it is interesting. We should do a book list, a top five. Yeah. So you guys can have like 500 books each. Wait, have we ever done that, Dan? I don't know. Have we? <laughs> Brian? <laughs> I was on the Hard Men podcast. You do whatever you want on that show. So <laughs> that's so true. That was on our meat trip. But yeah, meat scapades twenty twenty two, baby. Meat scapades. What yes. a trip. Uh, what a great trip. Uh, yeah. So I think a lot of it is just encouraging guys. Don't be overwhelmed with all the things that are on your plate. Just start with something. Um, so I, I know Jordan Peterson has talked about this. It's just like a very basic thing about discipline and wisdom. Just start with one thing. Right. Make your bed. So when I, years ago, when, when I was in college, not really walking as a Christian, I was like, what do I do? My life's a mess. And I was like, okay, I had a guy discipling me and he said, listen, every morning for 15 minutes, I want you to do 15 minutes of Bible reading and 15 minutes of prayer. And that felt like, how could I do that so much? How could I do that? Cause I'd never done it before. And so I started doing that every day. And he was like, I want you to do it every day for like three months straight. My life changed so drastically, it's not even funny. Just from reading scripture and praying. I didn't have great theological teaching. I wasn't listening to great expository sermons at the time. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So, like, if you can just start there. And then it was like, I made that decision, and then I started getting my health in order and, like, going to the gym and eating better. And it was, like, compounding interest. If you could do one thing and be disciplined at it, you'll make progress. So for a lot of guys, I think it'll be things like maybe it is your personal Bible reading. Okay. Maybe I would say one of the first places I would generally start is with family worship, read the scripture. Like this is my 32nd, how to do family worship, read the scripture, pray with your kids, sing a song. Boom. Like doesn't have to be rocket surgery. Cause guys are always like, well, I need to read a book about 12 more techniques. You need to read the Bible. <laughs> Yeah, you need to sing a song and you need to pray with your people. If you want a book that says all that, just get Donald's Whit- Donald Whitney's like family worship book, and then it'll Great. tell you to do those three things. Yes, in like seventy pages, and then you'll feel like you've you've done you've read a book. Now you can do it. Now you can. There do you it. go. Yeah, exactly. So, guys, as we kind of wrap up this episode, I, I just want to conclude with some of the maybe some of the other blessings and gifts as you think about yourself as a blessing man that you can give to your people. Some that might be on this list, Dan, that we they're easy to overlook. Genesis 2.15, you have to provide for your people. You have to protect them. Uh, I know Brian's been talking about this a lot lately. Uh, on Sunday, we're talking about protecting your wives from Jesus calling. Yeah, right. I looked that up, by the way. Yeah. While you were preaching. Mm-hmm. That book has sold over 40 million copies yeah. mm-hmm. in the U.S. So I think, well, there's at least 40 million probably husbands who are not doing who their job. slain in a do. Like, what, what are you doing? But, but how do we protect overall our family in today's world? Where do you see some of the, the key obvious places? Yeah, a lot of them for me come back to that getting clear, like protect them first from a, a dad and a husband who doesn't know his job. Like you Start with you. Because if you don't, if you do all those, if you know your job and you're doing it well, a lot of other things will sort themselves out and a lot of you'll find enemies all over the place to fight and you know kick out of your home and like media that's not allowed and books to get rid of and practices to put to death and things like that but if you don't start by just getting clear on like what am i called to do what is my actual job description as a husband and father then it's really hard to succeed because you just don't know where you stand ever you don't know what success actually looks like and I think that's the biggest thing that that most men have failed to protect their families from is actually just themselves. They've failed to protect their family from having a passive husband and father, protect their family from having a lazy or a you know a neglectful, Tyrant, you know, whatever tyrannical, it whatever it is. Uh, if if dad gets working on the central things, then a lot of the time things will tend to go well, and it will flush out other problems out of the tall grass. Right, like stuff's gonna. Oh, ooh, that just flew up. We got to deal with that. But if stuff's just you, you're never going out there into the tall grass and flushing stuff out. It's just there. Like it's there's. Okay, now I'm mixing my mixing metaphors. metaphors. There's snakes in the grass now, not birds, so, <laughs> and they're biting people. Right. So the way I, I think that's excellent. The way I think about it, back to the garden illustration. Mm-hmm. So if you're a gardener, you have certain responsibilities. You need to cultivate the earth. You need to fertilize it. You need to plant seeds, and you need to weed. You need to harvest. Okay, those are the. That's what a gardener does. Well, then you have to look at your bare 
patch of ground and go like, okay, what do I need to do? What's the vision? You have to have an idea of what this is going to look like. How far do you space apart the rows? You got to make sure plants don't shade out other plants and that they get along. You don't want to plant the watermelons in with the pepper plants because they'll Mm -hmm. take them over. Like you have to be, you have to have a plan and a strategy. What fruit are you actually going to want to eat? Yeah. You know, and so you have to have a plan. So if you apply that to a father, you have all these responsibilities, right? Okay. I'm going to be all of, I'm responsible for all these things. I have to cultivate my home in a direction. What is it going to look like? And that's having a mission, mm-hmm. you know, and a vision for your house. And then you have to be diligent about it. And one of the ways I think about that is, um, so if any of you have ever kept squash plants, there is a, the bane of my existence. I didn't even plant squash this year because these things are such a pain, uh, is squash bugs. Yeah. Squash bugs. Uh, they plant, they, they plant, they, they put their eggs, they lay their eggs on the underside of squash leaves. And then when they hatch, they, they have piercing mouth parts and they suck the juices out of your squash plants and kill them. Great band name, piercing mouth parts. <laughs> Call it. Okay, go on. <laughs> and so it, it, if you think about it this way, so let's say you understand your responsibilities, you have a mission. The next step is you have to be diligent by going out in the garden and you look over your, under your squash leaves and go, I know this is, could be a problem. I know my people. I planted squash. I like squash. I want to eat squash. I actually don't like squash, but it, beside the point, you go to your squash plants and you, you have to give a checkup and be diligent, check in with your people, and you look for those pervasive little eggs before they hatch. So I think that's all just uh, an expansion of what you said about protecting your family from yourself. Yeah. The other things is, is that you, you must provide financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't give your, your family a reason to despise you, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you aren't providing for them. Uh, and I understand that there's, you know, there are exceptions everywhere. It's a really hard time to live in. If you have your wife home and you're trying to go out and, and make a living with high interest rates and inflation and everything like that, it's yeah. really hard. The important thing is that your kids see you work hard. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's one thing to. I was just going to say, it's one thing if husbands are like struggling, yeah, but, but it's way different if like she sees your kids see that you're working like a dog versus like, you're like playing call of duty, you know, and everybody's stressed out and you're like, oh, well, yeah, this is a rough economy. I'm waiting on a upper management position. Mm-hmm. Like, don't be that guy. Yeah. You're not turning in your hundred resumes a month. You may not be able to control the outcomes, but you can, in, you can always control the inputs. So mm-hmm. that's just my interjection yeah, that's right. there. Yeah. And you'll also have like, don't be a fool with your money. So one of the temptations is to start invest and like get rich quick schemes or highly risky investments and things like that in order to, to fix all your problems right away. The Proverbs say that, you know, uh, wealth gained quickly is lost quickly and wealth gained slowly sticks around. I can't remember exactly what it says, but it's something, something like that. So the other thing is like security, which probably would be something that you'd talk to like go buy an AR-15, become proficient with it. BLM riots have not gone away. Yeah, there's actually a, Antifa hasn't gone away. I actually have this is crazy. I forgot about it till recently. There's an ebook on the Mossberg website that I wrote. No, really? Yeah, it's about you were published by Mossberg, and I didn't even know this. Oh yeah, wow. I used to write for them all the time. Great company, family-owned business. But anyway, they they did one. They published it. I wrote it on. I think it's on home defense. Um, so yeah, a lot of stuff that Brian had talked with, uh, Josh Adams, uh, about securing your home, you know, yeah. things like this. Uh, I, I would say years ago, it made a big splash right with John Piper and saying like, I'm not sure I would kill an intruder and mm-hmm. whatever, let him do to my wife. Your people hear things like that. Like, right. you know, my wife and I were talking about it afterwards and she was like, you said that to me, like, get lost, buddy. Like you better protect me you know, physically and otherwise. And so yeah. I think just just letting your people see, like, um, we lived in kind of a shady part of town. And, uh, you know, it, you can you can give your wife a lot of security by simply saying, like, okay, we're going to buy cameras for every angle of the house. We're going to reinforce the doors. We're going to make sure that we have a plan. A lot of times when you have intruder break-in stuff, you got to account for the fact that it's probably not an intruder. So a lot of times people end up shooting family members because they're like, oh, I heard a rumble and I just. And then so anyway, I started blasting. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Could be a neighbor coming home drunk. You just want to make sure that you have your ducks in a row, all the deterrence, make your home a hard target, all that. So you can check out that ebook. But um, I think a lot of that stuff, your people need to know that you're protecting them. Mm -hmm. Um, This even goes to things like I don't I, I would not 
especially in certain parts of town, I would not send my wife alone to certain parts of town. I would not send her alone to the car mechanic so that she can get jobbed over by some guy who thinks she's a dumb lady. Like these are kind of different ways to protect. Uh, but I think, yeah, including those are just ways to show your people that you care. I was thinking even my son, 16, he just started driving. And uh, every time he leaves, I give him a hug. And, and I said, drive carefully. I love you. I'll be praying for you. And he kind of like rolls his eyes like, oh, dad, come on. But if I don't say it, he's like, weren't you going to say something? You know, like <laughs> it's just a way to say I care about you. I'm thinking about you. You know, be safe. Love you. That sort of thing. One of the things I'll, I'll close with, gentlemen, is pointing back again to Brian's heart songs. Um, there's no harmonica, which makes them really good. Uh, yet. There better not be any harmonic. There's going to be harmonic. Are you serious? I'm guaranteeing it. Okay. I, I was on the fence. I'm now sure. Forget everything I said. <laughs> I actually don't know. Uh, but definitely check that out. I think that's a good way, Brian, uh, by way of art and culture, just to be thinking through, I don't know. I listen to those songs, and I think this is like, it taps into the emotive part that I usually try to kill. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain emotive parts of you that are definitely alive and well. Like not crying to thinking about like family and stuff though. No, no, not those parts. It's like the vein in your head that pops up. That's the (laughs) the part that you like to feed. That's the one. Oh man. So yeah, definitely encourage people to check that out. Uh, At this point, can they buy the whole album? How do they support? Not quite yet. Um, The single, uh, A Mighty Host is out about my wife and my family. Um, And the rest of the album is pretty deep into production. So um, probably another maybe month or so from now, sometime around, I'm guessing early September is when I'll be able to release that publicly. Lord willing, it could be longer than that, but yeah, working hard on, on, on writing songs in that work that function as like signposts that my kids and my family can look at. That's what I was thinking of first, but also other families and other, to be able to look at and say, like children, you're a blessing. You're a good thing. God, I'm, we're thankful for you. You know, Dad loves you particularly to my wife. Like, I'm thankful for her. I am appreciative, particularly of those aspects of her vocation. I tried to include aspects of her vocation that are particularly difficult. Like, you know, I'm so thankful and blessed by God that I have a wife who is making dinner for my children and and handling the chaos of dinner time. Those sorts of things, I, I hope other, you know, Christians write songs and make art and films that demonstrate those. But that was kind of my first foray into that. I I think it's important on the topic of today's episode that dads are leading the charge in overtly out loud, blessing their children with words, praying over them, the blessings of God, encouraging them, noticing those aspects of their nature that God made as a glory and encouraging them in those things and saying like, sons are strong go be stronger. Like, you know, go, go, go kill the dragon, get the girl, that kind of thing. And that really is what it's all about is us pushing faith downstream in the generations as fathers so that our kids know we, not just us knowing our marching orders, but so that they know their marching orders and they see them as glorious. So they're excited to put their hand to the plow and say, I want to be a dad like my dad. I want to be a mom like my mom. I want to be uh, I want I want to contribute and and put my hand to this work and continue what my mom and dad were doing because uh, it's a good work. Yeah, that's awesome, uh, Brian. No misery whistle. You didn't even bring the misery whistle for us to. Is that what you call the harmonica now? That's what it's called by like you or others. Uh, no, that's, that's like the official name. It's the official name. You know what? I didn't. You, I, I'm totally unprepared. Oh, man. Burr, burr. No, just <laughs> I, I, if I had a harmonica right now, Eric, I would be playing it for you. And then later I would tell Ray what key it was so he could match the outro music to it. Oh, boy. And he would, and it would sound great. And it would go with Festinolente, make haste slowly. Thank you to all our listeners. If you're not yet a supporter on Patreon, I encourage you to check us out there. And again, until next time, we'll catch you guys later. <laughs>